name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Let me begin by just acknowledging something kind of serious for us. Death has been knocking on our door. When I say our, I mean the door of Bacon's Castle Church quite a bit lately. Recently, we've had uh, three husbands or or three husbands of three different sisters in our church uh, have passed away. One of those men being a stalwart of the faith in our church family. But closer to the present, death is, is on the TV every single night, and we feel its presence all around us. Many of us are isolated at home in fear because of the coronavirus, afraid that it's going, we're going to get it and it's going to take, uh, take our lives. On Thursday of this, of this week, I was talking with a senior saint in our church family, and uh, she was crying. And she was crying because of all the deaths that she's been hearing about in, uh, in New York City and all of the pain of that death. And uh, I'm not sure if it holds true, although uh, it, it probably, probably will at some level anyway. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I heard them saying that we're all going to know somebody or know somebody who knows someone who died of the coronavirus. I was, I was going to say that I, I didn't think that'd be true, but even... Uh, you know, even yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I, I discovered that uh, someone that I know about has passed away of the coronavirus. So, you know, death is just all around us. And, and death has a finality to it, doesn't it? I mean, death is a scary thought. And when death comes, it leaves a very dark wake for those of us who are left behind to wade through. It brings on grief, despair, depression, a sense of hopelessness. You know, the friends and family members of anyone who has died feels those feelings. This week, Sue and I were talking, and, and she was telling me, she says, I just, sometimes I just cry, and I don't know why. Nancy Warford, who's in, uh, in our home group, said something similar to me, you know, maybe a month or so ago. And, and I know why. I know why they cry. It's because of grief. It's what grief does to us. I, I'm sure you remember me talking to you about uh, the poem about the waves of grief that sweep over us. And they do. Grief comes and we cry for no apparent reason. I mean, it, we don't know why we cry at that moment, but we do because that's what grief That's what grief does is it sweeps over us. Now, Jesus has died on Friday, and he's been laying in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, Joseph and Nicodemus have prepared Jesus for burial. They took his body after he died. They washed him, and they wrapped his body in claws with, uh, I think it was like 75 pounds of, of myrrh and perfumes, you know, wrapped in all of these, these pieces of cloth. And they, they put him, this was a new tomb that Joseph had. No one had ever been buried in it. And evidently the tomb was near the crucifixion site because they were able to bury him uh, that evening before, before Passover. Now on a side note, George Summerfield, who's uh, actually been uh, to Israel and been to the tomb of Jesus, he, he has told me many times how profoundly it affected him to actually visit the tomb 
where Jesus had been buried. But, uh, but on this day, when Jesus is actually buried, there the tomb was a place of deep, deep sorrow for the followers of Jesus. They had, they had sealed the entrance with this massive stone, and in their hearts it was over. It was finished. This, this man that they loved, he was gone. Uh, his time on earth was spent. The party was over. I mean, any way you want to say it, in their mind, death was what we think of death. It was final. It was, it was the conclusion. And that's why, as, as Dickie read in the text, when Mary Magdalene, Magdalene goes to the tomb the next morning really, really early, and she gets there, she's shocked that the tomb is empty. And immediately she runs back. The, tomb, the, the stone's been rolled away. Uh, the tomb is empty. Jesus' body is gone. I'm assuming that she probably thinks his body has been stolen. She, uh, she runs back to Simon Peter and to John, and she tells them, and I'm sure they're angry and they're bewildered, thinking that somebody has desecrated Jesus' tomb. So they run to the tomb to check for themselves. John, John wins the foot race. He gets there first. But he's not willing to go in the tomb. He stands at the door, looks in, peers in, and there he sees the, the cloth, the, the, head, uh, the head shroud all folded up there, but there is no body. Now, Peter, when he gets there, and I mean, I've just got this mental picture of Peter just barreling through the door, not stopping at all. John's there. He barrels into the, into the tomb. And of course, John follows, and they see the tomb empty. And, and I don't know if it's immediately, it seems like it's immediately, John gets the significance of the vacancy of the cross. And in other words, he gets it. Hey, this isn't a grave robbery. This isn't the wrong tomb, or this isn't a myth. I mean, he gets it. This is real. Jesus is risen. And so in the text, in John chapter 20, verse 8, it says, John saw and, and John believed. Now, we peer into that same empty tomb from a perspective of knowledge and history, really a perspective of 2,000 years of tradition and 2,000 years removed. But that was not true on that morning for Peter, for John, for Mary. They, they were, this, was, this was brand new. This was fresh. And, and listen to what John records for us in verse 9. He says, For they still did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. You see that in your Bibles? He must rise from the dead. He had to rise. They didn't understand that. And a lot of times we don't understand that either, that Christ had to rise. Now maybe you're wondering, why must Christ have risen? Well, this is what I'd like to spend some time with you on this morning in this talk, is I'd like to talk to you why Christ must rise, why Jesus had to rise. And I want to give you three compelling reasons why he had to rise. Here's the first one. Jesus had to rise to authenticate his identity. He had, he must rise from the dead in order to prove who he was. Warren Wiersbe, who is a, a former pastor of the Moody Church there in Chicago, an author, I think he's deceased now, but this is one of the things he wrote. A dead savior cannot save anyone or anybody. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is as much a part of the good news message as his sacrificial death on the cross. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, the very Son of God. If Jesus was not resurrected back to life, he was not God. He was not a savior for anyone. Uh, He was just a man. And not just any man, he was a lying man. He was a liar. 
if Jesus is not risen because he said he'd ride. He said it often. He said it frequently to his disciples. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, here's what Jesus says. In, in, uh, it says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And listen, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this. So Jesus plainly told his disciples that he was going to die and rise again. At the end of Luke, towards the end of Luke, I should say, uh, Jesus, this is Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him. And then listen, on the third day, he will rise again. So if Jesus isn't risen, then he was a lying man, much less a savior or the son of God. Jesus had predicted his death and his resurrection all throughout his ministry. And in part, it was to authenticate who he was, the truthfulness of his words, that he was who he claimed to be. In John chapter 14, this is earlier in this very, well, we're on Friday now. This is Thursday evening. Jesus is with his disciples. And uh, this is one of the things he says to them in John 14. He says, you have heard me tell you, I am going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told, now listen, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. Now notice, he tells them before so that when it does happen, they may believe. Jesus must rise from the dead to prove that he was everything he claimed to be. He had to validate, he had to authenticate his personhood, his ministry. I don't know how how recently or how soon it was to the end of Jesus' life, but the religious leaders were talking to Jesus, and they said, give us another sign that you are who you say you are. And Jesus had given them all kinds of signs. It wasn't that Jesus didn't authenticate his ministry. He did. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He healed five, I mean, he fed 5,000. He healed people, blind people that nobody could do. He authenticated who he was many, many times over. But on this particular day, they're saying, give us one more sign. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you another sign. If you want a sign, here's my last and final sign. As Jonah was in the uh, belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man's going to be in the earth for three days, and then uh, he'll rise again. That's my final sign. Jesus had to rise again because he'd said he would and authenticated his personhood. I, w- I was 19 years old. I'd been raised in a Christian home. I was in college. And I was not a follower of Jesus, but I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And you say, wait a minute, how can you believe and not be a follower of Jesus? Uh, Well, I just knew in my heart, and I say it today, that believing and following are synonyms. In other words, I don't think you can believe in Jesus and not follow him. And some of you listening to me this morning, you 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 need to listen to what I'm saying. I say it again. Believing and following are synonyms, and I'm 19 years old, and I know that there's a problem between my claiming to believe Jesus and not believe in him and not follow him, and so I set out on this kind of journey to find out what do I believe? Do I really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That was my journey. Again, I'm in college. I'm just a young fellow, and uh, as I began to look at the evidence 
for the resurrection of Jesus because I was also, you know, I was logical enough in my mind to understand that, that the hinge pin of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus isn't risen, then he, he wasn't who he claimed to be. Everything he said falls apart. I, I got that. And when I looked at the evidence for the resurrection, 19 years old, I believed. I, I believed. The evidence for me was compelling enough to, to help me not just believe in Jesus, but to say, God, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I, I want to say this really clearly. I want you to listen to what I'm going to say now. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is plentiful and ample for one who is truly seeking. And uh, so if you happen to be tuning into this, I just want you to know, listen, if you, if you really want to know, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is substantial. But here's what the Bible says. It's impossible to please God without faith. So I don't care how, how great of evidence there is for the resurrection of Jesus, that it's still going to demand of you that you walk through that door of, of following Jesus, of believing in him, it's still going to demand of you that you walk through that door by faith. I've, I've said this for years. The evidence gets you right up to the door, but then you, you've got to take that step of faith and, and walk through it. Well, I was 19 years old, and I did. The evidence of the resurrection convinced me to follow Jesus, and I put my trust in him, and I began to follow him. No man beats death. I don't need to say that to you. Um, but it's true. No man beats death. We're all going to die, and it's the longing of every man's heart, I believe, to live. Now, I, I know there's anomalies. I know people, there are people who want to die. We have people who commit suicide, right? But, but generally speaking, the desire of every man's heart is to live, and to live forever, by being the first person to rise from the dead and to never die again, Jesus, Jesus proves his identity. Now here comes a big word, all right, here comes a big word. He had to rise for an epistemological reason. Now, uh, you know, epistemology is, is the, how we, the study of how we know something's true. Jesus had to rise so that he could epistemologically, all right, big word, I know, he could prove, he could tell us that he is the truth by rising from the dead. And that's exactly what he did. So Jesus must rise because he had to identify, uh, he had to authenticate his identity. He had to identify himself as the son of God and prove it. Number two, he, he had to rise from the dead to defeat the power of death. Now, I've shared this with our church family. I've shared this with you that are listening uh, quite a bit uh, often recently. And because it's profoundly impacted me, and, and for some of you maybe hearing this for the first time, you're going to say, how, how is that so profound? But it is. It is for me anyway. Only God can create life, human life, animal life, plant life. God, listen, God retains to himself the right to create life, and man cannot do it. We've been able to do all kinds of things uh, but we can't create life, and we can't restore life that's gone. When it's gone, it's gone. Now, as hard as science has tried, and, and scientists have been trying so hard to create life in a test tube, and they have been unable to do it. And um, I, I don't think, this is my personal opinion, I don't think they'll ever be able to create life, because I think that's something that God retains to himself. Uh, true, truly, life is, 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 only a God, is only a God thing. Now, as a pastor, I've stood by many, I've been at many funerals, stood by many people who are grieving when the person who's died is, is, is being lowered into the grave. And, and the grief is palpable because we all get it. This is final. 
There is no coming back from this. We all know that our loved ones that we're lowering into the grave are going to decompose. They're going to return to dust because uh, they are not alive anymore. Now listen, Jesus had to rise from the dead to, in order to show that God was defeating death, or if you would, even to, to, to defeat death. Jesus had to rise from the dead to defeat it because no one else ever had defeated it, never to die again. Now, yes, God had given people their life back, but no one had ever been given life to never die again until Jesus did it. Jesus defeated death to never, never succumb to its power again. Right after Jesus uh, had ascended back uh, to heaven and to the Father, he, he left his disciples behind and he said, hey guys, I'm going to send, I'm gonna send someone, I'm going to send someone who's going to be in you and with you and he's going to empower you and he's going to help you. And uh, that person was the Spirit and the Spirit of God had come. And Peter now is preaching his first message, and he stands up in front of, I think it was 3,000 or 5,000 people, and he begins to preach his very first message. And, and in this message, as he's preaching in Acts chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, just listen. But as he's preaching, he first says, God has raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus has defeated death. Let me read it to you. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Now listen to what I have to say about Jesus from Nazareth. God proved that he sent Jesus to you by having him work miracles and wonders and signs. All of you know this. He's talking about how Jesus uh, authenticated his ministry. God had already planned, and this is still Peter, God had already planned and decided that Jesus would be handed over to you, so you took him and had evil men put him to death on a cross. But God set him free from death and raised him to life. Death could not hold him in its power. Then, after having made the statement that God has raised Jesus from the dead, he's defeated death, the power of death has been destroyed, Peter then quotes King David of Israel fame, right? Their, their forefather and, uh, and their great king. He quotes him from the Psalms. And Peter says, what David said are really the words of Jesus. And then he goes on to quote David. I always see the Lord near me, and I will not be afraid with him at my right side. Because of this, my heart will be glad, my words will be joyful, and I will live in hope. The Lord won't leave me in the grave. I am his holy one, and he won't let my body decay. He has shown me the path to life, and he makes me glad by being near me. And then Peter makes this astounding claim. He says, guys, listen to me. Peter wasn't, I mean, David wasn't talking about, this is Peter. Peter says, David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Messiah. He was talking about the king. He's actually talking about Jesus. And I have these words on the screen right here. here here's what Peter says. David wasn't talking about himself. David is in the grave still. Instead, David knew this would happen, and so he told us that Messiah would be raised to life. He said God would not leave him in the grave to let his body decay. All of us can tell you that God has raised Jesus to life. Jesus must rise because he had to defeat death. Something no one had ever done, he did it, and he did it permanently. Paul would tell us that, uh, that this is what Jesus did, and that because of Jesus living again, we're going to get to live again. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to Paul. He says, but Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, has been raised to life, and he makes us certain that others will also be raised to life. Just as we will die because of Adam, we will be raised because of Christ. And, and so here, here Paul is juxtaposing the how in, in Adam, because of Adam we all die. He says, because of Jesus we're all going to live. Verse 22, Adam brought death to all of us, and Christ will bring life to all of us, but we must each wait our turn. Christ must be first, Christ was the first to be raised to life, and his people will be raised to life when he returns. He was the first to receive his life back, but all of us who follow will receive our life back at his, at his return. Um, for those of us who are here, who happen to be here when Jesus comes back, because when he comes back, some people are going to be alive. Not everyone will be dead. Some of us will be alive. And when, when he comes back, Paul goes on to say, we're going to be changed. Those of us that are here, we're going to be changed. In an instant, we're going to be changed. He says, but not before God raises everybody who's gone before us and those who will come after us. Not, not before God raises all of them back to life. If the event that all of history is pointing to and waiting for happened tomorrow, if it happened tomorrow on Monday, my dad and my son, they would have their lives restored first, and then I would be changed. But there's one more reason why Jesus must live again, and that is to transform our lives with hope. And Jesus has to rise again to, to prove his identity, to authenticate who he really is. He has to rise again so that he can defeat death because death has never been defeated. And now he has to rise again. Here's the third reason he has to rise again because he must transform our lives with hope. Jesus wants to give us so much hope. One of my favorite verses in, um, in Peter's writings comes from his first letter, first chapter. This is what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So because of Christ rising from the dead, we have this new and living hope. Now notice it's not a dead hope. It's not a static hope. It's a living hope. When Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, one of his favorite churches, I believe anyway, they're, they're really struggling over people who have died before Jesus has come back. And this is what he says. He says, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. I already talked about that just a second ago. But my point is that Paul says, don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have this hope because Christ is risen from the dead. And the, and the empty tomb gives us hope in so many arenas. Now, as I, as I bring this talk to a conclusion, I want to mention just, and there's so many areas that I could mention where the resurrection gives us hope. But I want to talk about four, just really briefly, four areas where, where four arenas in which we have hope because Christ is risen. Here's the first one. The fact that Jesus is risen, it gives me hope that my sin has been forgiven. It's been expunged. It's been purged. It's been erased. God has removed my sins. One of the realities of the death of Jesus is that God erased my sin. 
He forgave my sin because Jesus died for me. In Colossians uh, chapter 3, this is a church in Colossae. Paul writes to them. In verse 13, he says, God gave you new life together with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He wiped out what the law said that we owed. The law stood against us. It judged us. But he has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Jesus died on the cross to, if you would, take away my sins. God nailed my sins on, his, on that cross of Jesus and forgave me. Back down during World War I, there were some wounded men. They were all huddled together in one of those, those trenches that, um, that they had dug. And one of them was terribly wounded, and he was dying. He only had minutes to live. And he called one of his friends close to him, and this friend had made all kinds of bad decisions. He was actually wanted by the police after the war. And he'd spent time in prison already. And the dying man pulled him close. And he took his dog tags and his ID and his papers. And he pressed them in his buddy's hands. And he said, listen, Dominic, you've led this bad life. Everywhere you go, you're wanted by the police. He said, but there are no convictions against me. My name is clear. So here are my dog tags, my, my wallet, my papers, my identity, my good name, my life. Quickly hand me your papers that I may carry all your crimes away with me in death. In other words, what his friend was doing is saying, hey, give me your papers, and they're gonna, it's like you're going to die, and you're going to get to live again in my, in my name. I tell you, everyone, that's what Jesus did for us when he died for us. He basically exchanged my sin, my failures, the things that I know convict me before God. He took all of those, and, and Jesus died for them. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. He took my sin, and he died for it, and then he gives me his life. So I have hope that all my sins have been expunged, that God has given me like a new lease on life. Paul would say, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So Jesus died, must die, and rise again so that I could have hope, and so that I could have hope that I could be forgiven. Here's the second thing, though. He gives me hope. Another arena in which he gives me hope because of his resurrection is that he's going to change me, that he's going to be with me, and that he's going to make me different. He's going to transform me. Here's what Paul says to the Ephesian church in chapter 1. He says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great this power is to help those who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So, I mean, there it is, everyone. The resurrection of Jesus, the power that raised Jesus is now it's living within each one of us who follow him. And we have the power to change, to be different. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to empower you to, uh, to live different than you are. Jesus didn't just forgive me, everyone. He gave me the ability, the empowerment to change, to be different, to be like him. I'm reading a book now called The uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, I highly recommend it to you. It's a, it's a book by John Comer, and, and Comer makes this point in the book. He says that we are to be apprentices of Jesus, and we are to learn. Now listen, not just from his words, but we are to learn from how Jesus lived his life, how he actually did life. 
Now, now my point in telling you that is to tell you that Jesus gives me the power to listen to the words of Jesus, to actually look at his life, and to live my life like his, like him. I mean, the goal of my life and the goal of your life should be to be transformed to look like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. And I realize that we don't always do this. I realize that we still stumble and fail. I totally get that. But my goal is to think like Jesus and to act like Jesus and respond like Jesus. And I love the statement from Comer's book, to adopt the rhythms of Jesus' life. That, that, is, that is my goal in life. And you know what I really want? I really want to love people like Jesus did. That's what I really want. And, and the resurrection of Jesus gives me hope that I have been empowered by him and I can live different. If you ever wonder whether you can change, I want to tell you you can change. Jesus can give you the ability to change and the resurrection gives us hope to that end. Here's the third. Here's the third arena in which the empty tomb gives us hope. And, and it is the hope and again, I've touched on these things already, but it's the hope that I get to live again. I don't have to be afraid of death because death isn't going to be the end of me. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die like everyone else, they will live again. That's John chapter 11, verse 25. And I've already made this point that when I, when I talked about Jesus defeating death, that, that I'd get to live again. But here, the point I want to make now is that I have hope. I have hope that I will defeat death too, just as Jesus did. To borrow biblical terminology, I may sleep with my fathers in the dust of the earth, that's the Old Testament way of speaking of death for tens and hundreds and maybe even thousands of years. But one day, God's going to call my name and the names of everyone who's gone before me and everyone who dies after me. And from the four corners of the earth, the Bible says, men and women are going to return back to life from death. And we have hope that we are going to live again with all our memories and all our consciousness and who we are. And and it's going to be restored as well. When my father passed away, he had dementia for the last two or three years, and, and his mental abilities, his cognizance was becoming less and less with, with each passing uh, month, I would say. And, but you know, when, when, when he is resurrected, uh, he will return to life as my father without the debilitations of, uh, of sin and brokenness and death, which they bring to each one of us. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the prophets, Ezekiel, meets with God, and God takes Ezekiel out to, um, to this valley, and it's filled with, with bones, just dry bones. And he asks Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? I, I guess it was a picture of something like this right here. You know, can, can these bones live again? And, and Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know. And then God says in, in verse 4, he says, prophesy concerning these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. And I will put tendons on you, and make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you, so that you come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So, so God tells Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy over these bones. And in, the, in this vision that Ezekiel has, he sees, uh, you know, we, we, we've made songs up about this, but he begins to see the bones rattle and the, and the knee bone gets connected to the 
thigh bone or something of that nature, right? He gets connected. All those bones get connected, and then God puts flesh back on those bones, and, and he says he's going to put breath, that is, he's going to put life back into those reconstructed bodies. And, uh, and so, and so Ezekiel gets to see this vision, and the bones are dead. I mean, and the people are there, but dead. And then in verse 10, God says, or, or then in verse 10, Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood to their feet, a vast army of God's people. Now listen, everyone, that is a picture of what's going to happen in the future. God is going to bring back from the dead all of us. He's going to reconstruct us, and then he's going to breathe life back into us, and we shall live again, and we shall be a mighty army of God's people who live again. And uh, I tell you what, I I am filled with hope. I am filled with hope that I shall live again, and I hope that you are as well, especially on this Resurrection Sunday morning. That brings me to my final, my final arena of hope. The resurrection gives me hope that not only will I live again, but in my living again, I get to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus to come. I mean, Jesus is already king over his kingdom now. We're in his kingdom now. But, but we get to be a part of the kingdom that God is going to institute and, and establish here on the earth that's going to be made perfect. He's going to remove all corruption. The corruption the earth, earth is under, he's going to remove that. He's going to restore all things to the paradise of the Garden of Eden. And, and you and I, because of the resurrection, we get to be a part of of that. Listen to Ephesians 1.18. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you may see and understand the hope to which God has called you. That hope to which God has called you is that you get to be a part of the kingdom of God. You get to be a part of this kingdom where Jesus reigns over all the earth in, in a place where there is no more sin and selfishness and corruption and evil. You get to be a part of that. I mean, I love to describe it these days. And, you know, the Bible says, you know, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, all that God has prepared for us, but you have seen. We've seen a little. You know, we know things like no one will ever die again. There's not going to be any more coronaviruses that we have to fear. There's not going to be any more hurricanes or tornadoes that destroy our homes and that sort of thing. Instead, there's going to be culture, and there's going to be community, and there's going to be friendships, and there's going to be bonfires, and, and there's going to be life lived in grace and goodness, and you get to be a part of that. And that's the hope that the resurrection of Jesus gives us, and it, and it transforms our life. It, it changes us to be filled with joy because we know, even in the sufferings that we have now, we know what's coming, and that gives us such hope. Now, I know some of you might be listening to this, and, and you might scoff at it, but listen to me. Jesus rose from the grave so that you could have hope that this is all true. You know, I've met people that, that read the, 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 what do they call them, the, the atheist, the modern evangelistic atheist of our day, Sam Harris and Hitchens and, and those men, and they read them because they want to be convinced of atheism. 
Listen, why would you read them? Why not read the men of God who are giving you apologetic evidence? Apologetic means they're giving you a defense of the Christian faith. Why would you not want to read them and hope in what I'm saying to, to hope in this truth that Christ conquered death and what awaits us is, is joy unimaginable. Why would you want to read those guys so that you can become convinced of what they believe rather than seeking to discover whether it could possibly be true that Jesus conquered death? It is true, everyone. Trust him. So Jesus must rise. Back to John chapter 20, verse 9. Je they didn't understand this, but Jesus must rise. And he must rise to authenticate his identity. He must rise to defeat death. And he must rise to give us hope. And I want to offer that hope to you today, that hope of forgiveness, of, of resurrection, of eternal life uh, with him in his kingdom to come. And I want to ask you this morning, will you receive Jesus, will you receive this offer that Jesus himself personally wants to make to you on this Resurrection Sunday morning? There is great power in the words of someone who can say, I, I was there, I saw it, I heard it, I'm giving you an eyewitness account. And that is what John is saying. I was there, I saw it, I'm giving you an eyewitness account. There is such power in that. A church in Bangladesh was showing the Jesus film for the first time to an audience of people who had never heard the good news of Jesus before. And there was little children sitting in the aisles and sitting up front, and, and there was adults sitting in the back and standing in the back. And when the story got to the crucifixion of Jesus and it was unfolding, there were tears and there were audible gasps as, as Jesus was dying. And as the Bengalis watched, this one little boy stood up in the front, turned around and said, do not be afraid. He gets up again. I saw it already. He gets up again. Like John, listen, it's not enough to run to the tomb, everyone, and peer in the tomb and, and maybe even enter the tomb or look at the evidence. You have got to believe that Jesus got up. You've got to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believe in your heart that he got up, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. Death, you'll be saved from death. You will have life. Are you willing this morning to believe? Because this is our message to the world. Uh, it, it, the world is overwhelmed with the reality of death. This is our message. God has given us the answer. Jesus got up. You know, uh, we can say to everyone who's bewildered, to everyone who's confused, everyone who's heartbroken, fear not. Jesus got up. Jesus is alive. Jesus has come back from the dead. We have our brothers and sisters saying, we saw it. We were there. He is alive. He is risen. If you don't know Jesus, or if you're not sure you know Jesus this Easter Sunday morning, this Resurrection Sunday morning, I want to ask you, invite you to put your trust in Jesus. Now here's a real simple prayer that you can pray to, to just express this desire uh, of your heart. If God is calling you in Christ, and I believe he is, because if you've been listening to the end, then you've heard the good news that Jesus lives so that you can live. So God is calling you. If you're willing this morning to 
Put your faith in him. If you're willing to step through that, that thre- step over that threshold and put your trust in Jesus, here's a prayer I'd like to lead you in. So would you bow your heads with me wherever you are? And, and here's the prayer. It's just, it's just a simple prayer. It's, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I understand that apart from your grace that I will die and not get to be a part of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my death and dying in my place. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. With all my heart, I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Save me now. I gladly receive this gift of my forgiveness. Amen. Let me just say something about prayer. Prayer is not a magic bullet, everyone. I mean, this, this is not, you say this little ditty and, and now God forgives you. No, but, but prayer is a way of expressing our heart to the Lord. And if this, if this little prayer that we just prayed, if you prayed it with me, if, if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, it's a great way of, in faith, reaching out to the Lord Jesus. Now, some of you listening, you may not be there. You may even just somewhat scoffing in your heart as, as I was praying. And I get that. You may not be there. But here, here's what I'd really like to ask. If, if anything I've said has, has, has pricked your conscience at all, hey, then, then look at the evidence. Seek for Jesus. I believe Jesus said, if you'll seek for me with all your heart, you'll find me. I believe if you'll seek for the Lord Jesus, you will, you will find him. Hey, it's really been good to have you have us together like this. Again, I know it's less than an ideal medium of being together, but, uh, but it's what we've got now, and I'm glad you've, you've been a part of uh, this resurrection service this, uh, this Sunday morning. Jesus is risen, everyone. He is risen indeed. He rose for you and me. Let me close in prayer, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, we, uh, we thank you that Christ is risen and that because he is risen, Lord, we have uh, hope. We have hope. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the power of God living within us to be different, to be transformed, to be changed. Lord, we have, we have the hope that we shall live again. Though we die, yet shall we live again. And we have the hope, Lord, that we will not just live eternally, but Lord, we get to live in your kingdom in a world that's transformed by goodness. Lord, thank you for that. On this Resurrection Sunday morning, may you be blessed and honored and pleased with our worship as it rises before you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.